Hey everyone, welcome to Single Minded Conversations. I'm your host, Jesse Single. I'm a podcaster and author and writer. Uh, you can check out my newsletter, jessesingle.substack.com, and my podcast, blockedandreported.org. I'm also very hot. I, I don't do well in the heat. I'm dating someone who's the exact opposite. She thrives in it. She was born in a horrible, desiccated part of the country that shouldn't exist. I was born in Boston. Above 80 degrees if it's humid. I just fucking melt. Uh, and I – let's see, weather, Brooklyn. Yeah, this is <laughs> 95 degrees. Uh, not even that humid, but I just – I can't do it. And it's such a boring thing to complain about. I made fun of it in the episode title. Hot enough for you, but I just – it like saps me of the will to do anything. And I, I – 106 degrees, you worked out, Jesus. Um I'm not the other way with cold. I dislike cold. I just find it much more manageable. I could be out, as long as I'm bundled up, I could be out in 15-degree weather for a couple hours. Uh, this is rough, so I'm glad I can kill some time with you guys with my shades drawn and the AC on. Thank you guys for understanding. Uh, the only thing – well, I want to talk about a couple things briefly. One is just I saw uh, – if you go to my tweet, uh, my Twitter account, you'll see – there's this local activist group in uh, Minneapolis, I guess it is, that is – you're like a melted Ashkenazi popsicle. That should be my username on something. Um, there's this activist group complaining that not enough people showed up to protest Dave Chappelle doing a stand-up show. And it's just triggering all my frustrations with how a lot of these issues are discussed and particularly with like the question of if you care about a specific group, what should you do to help them? And – it's weird that there aren't more adults in the room pointing out that like of the things you could do to help trans people protesting people who pay to see him do stand up where for 98% of the set, he will not be talking about trans people most likely uh, is just counterproductive and has no material connection to the lives of actual trans people. And I continue, maybe I'm becoming like a little bit of a one trick pony on this and you got to be careful if you develop like a pet explanation that you then see everywhere. I just think a lot of this is class stuff is, is like the extent to which like a lot of activists and academic, academic and journalistic spaces uh, are dominated by people from backgrounds like mine, privileged people for lack of a better term, because I just, I just think the people who cared the most about questions like, Oh, who is getting platformed? Who is, who's allowed to, you know, sell their content online. I just think that is a concern of like college educated, fairly well off people, because I do think that is the class of person who has the most time to worry about. Just think about that for a minute. You're complaining that people paid to go see Dave Chappelle do stand up comedy. This is what you're deciding to protest. Think of the optics ramifications of that. Think about how far removed that is from in all likelihood, there are trans people in Minneapolis who need help of various sorts, and you could use that same time and organizing energy to get it to them. Uh, I just think this is – and of course, I'm playing, I'm playing a part here too by complaining about it because this just goes to the endless lefty fights about this. I just – I don't understand what the strategy is. I could totally get – if the same amount of energy was being put um, – I'm sure Minneapolis has pretty good local statutes protecting trans people. But if you put this exact same energy into – you know, uh, passing a non-discrimination in housing statute or employment, uh, although I guess Supreme Court already made a lot of uh, progress on the employment front. But the kind of stuff where that like actually improves the lives of the group you care about, whether or not Dave Chappelle ha is able to do a live show, uh, 
or alternate situation where maybe Antifa shows up and intimidates people out of even showing up. Okay, he just puts it online. It's the same thing. This sort of goes back to like I made the same complaint about Milo Yiannopoulos, um, who is much more provocative and offensive than Chappelle when he sparked riots at the University of Ber- uh, California, Berkeley. Like it, it doesn't really affect anything, whether or not he's allowed to speak. Um, so let's just go to Neil. I'm so hot and tired. Hey, Jesse. So hey, I've actually got like a serious topic for today, unlike some other days. Um, so I wanted to ask you about child porn specifically i am i am the expert of of like underage people so in the united states it's not explicitly protected right so like kind of like drawings or whatever um since the protect act of 2003 it's it's um subject to the obscenity standard right so i think that's like kind of ridiculous i don't know like what what are your thoughts on that in general and then i have a follow-up question i mean i i i I'm not sure I have thoughts in general. I think it obviously, whereas child porn involves victimizing individual children, if it's like a video or, or still image, um, I think the further you get from an identifiable victim, the more leery I am of prosecuting. And I think a lot of people would have like lay beliefs about this, that like cartoon child porn, like reinforces folks attraction to that. Um, I've done a little bit of reporting on this. I had a story that was killed on just sort of like the science of trying to help pedophiles, basically. I think if your view is that it's more or less a sexual orientation, I'm not sure the reinforcement thing really makes sense. Like, I think that's just what they're into. I think there's probably an uncomfortable argument that in some cases, giving them that outlet will keep real kids safe. But I'm just not confident enough in what we know about these icky questions to, like, actually make a prediction along those lines. Okay. So one of the things was that uh, there have been like six cases um, pro- like brought since since the passing of the act. And in four of those cases, they were also convicted of like, or th- they were also suspected of like actual child porn. So I think even if, even if, I mean, obviously that's bad and they should be, you know, held responsible. But then I th- still think it's bad that they were targeted for this other thing. But then there was two cases where they were like, that was all they did. And I thought that that was the one guy pled out because they were like oh if you take it to the jury you're gonna lose so he, so he pl- i just think that's crazy but then um my follow-up like i i think it should be protected speech basically is my argument but but then the follow-up is that i think when it's fictional characters i think there's like no question i think it's like completely ridiculous but then when it's real people real minors but then still drawn i think that that's a more interesting question because there's a real potential victim in that case right because because there was there was a case about uh, Greta Thunberg, right? And this was this was a foreign artist. But then they got in trouble for this. When she, I mean, now she's like nineteen. But Jesus, like, someone did porn of Greta Thunberg. Yeah, like drawn. Yeah. Oh God. Uh, I mean, that seems like I, I just don't know about the laws enough. I mean, it seems like maybe grounds for a civil complaint. Should it even in a child porn case, you prosecute putting someone in jail for drawing a picture of someone else? I agree with you. That's more complicated, but I just, um, to be honest, I just, it's not a area where I know enough about like the legal lay of the land or even like the philosophical basics of it to, uh, offer anything other than that. Yeah. That strikes me as gross and sort of tricky legally to hash out. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. That, that was my, that was my serious question. Anyway. <laughs> Thank you, Neil. Uh, Burshot first, AKA Pongo two. What is up? Not to be confused with Pongo's one or three through nine. 
Yeah, sorry. Uh, I got a new phone and Colin made me redo my account, so I didn't realize that it would switch my display names and my ads, so I'll have to fix that at some point. Um, yeah, I, I was wondering if you've been paying any attention to this uh, conservative leadership race in the UK. I have not, no. not. I mean, I do obviously know the basics that Johnson was ousted and there's general chaos, but um, I have not been following closely, enough. Right. Well, there's an interesting aspect of it that's sort of concerned with your area because um, one of the main front runners basically ha- was hounded into dropping out by essentially by uh, UK turfs uh, because of her like uh, she had she had previously been very pro uh, trans trans rights activist ideas like, uh, you know, trans women, trans women are women wanted to remove like single sex space provisions from various uh, legislation. Oh, that's a change of pace. Someone getting drummed out of political position for believing that instead of not believing it. Exactly. Um, and it's uh, it's it's interesting because it's also coming right because uh, I think my there was uh, recently we also had news from the UK where Maya Forstadter, who was the person who uh, J.K. Rowling outed herself as a quote-unquote turf for defending um, her case. I believe she won it on appeal. She had initially lost it at, in one of their appoint, employment hearings and it just recently came out that she won it on appeal. So uh, gender-critical views are uh, protected speech in UK workplaces again, basically. I just think like the, the thread that connects all these cases, and, and it's somewhat similar in the UK as the US, although maybe in the UK the conversation is further along, is... um. There's been an attempt to take views that the vast, not just a majority, but the vast majority of people have and render them unsayable and punish people for them. And I just, I cannot think of a dumber approach. And I think it's been, it's been very successful at getting people not to ask questions out loud in liberal spaces, but it doesn't seem to be working public opinion wise. And I think when you actually take that view of you can't even discuss these questions or these trade offs and then make policy around that, you're, you're just going to get like really, bad shit happening and it might be rare but it will always be like in new jersey this these two female inmates were impregnated uh by a male prisoner who said they had a female gender identity this was because the aclu of new jersey um pressured the state of new jersey into a compromise along those lines i think threatening them with the lawsuit like those cases might be rare, but they do highlight that there's actually trade-offs here. And whenever one of those cases pops up, it's just going to get circulated endlessly. So I might not be asking a question exactly, but I just don't think the strategy is working. Well, I, I do kind of suspect that uh, basically what, one reason I wanted to bring attention to it is because it's actually kind of the only place I'm aware of where like the uh, it, – it's like you said, like uh, the – if we want to talk about like the woke and like the anti-woke, which is generally speaking, like where most public opinion is at, it's sort of like you might call it moderately anti-woke or something, just not accepting a lot of these woke propositions. You have to sort of acknowledge that looking at the broad sweep of it, despite where public opinion is, the woke generally do seem to be winning in most like actual, like if not like in actual political elections, but in terms of where policy is actually going, they do seem to be winning and pushback hasn't been very successful. This just seems like, one of the only places I know where pushback has d- does seem to have some actual policy successes behind it. Not really counting Chris Rufo because I think we'd both agree that he's not really he's not like an anti woke liberal. He's just an old school conservative, and most of his su- successes are just really they're not actually going to lead to anything anything solid. They're just going to probably strengthen wokeness if anything. Well, I think like I mean. 
this might get to the limits of describing this as wokeness because if you're we're really talking about like a dozen different policy areas where there have been to my mind a mixture of major conservative victories like the overturning of Roe to uh, minor but impactful ones like uh, HB 1557 in Florida that really does restrict, I think, what teachers can say. And I think a lot of the quote-unquote anti-CRT bills are, are written poorly and don't even do what they're supposed to do. So I think those are all conservative victories. And I think legislatively, progressives have... It's complicated, right? right? Yeah, sorry. But no. that, that's, that's sort of what I mean, though, is that those are all conservative victories and often like quite obnoxious and in my opinion like bad conservative victories here's a place where we might actually have what we could call like an anti-woke liberal victory which is what makes it interesting to me and something you might want to try to actually build on you mean the stuff going on in brit in england in general in britain yeah because we have this employment we have this employment case where it has basically ruled in favor of not in terms of not it's not anything like these like anti-crt bills it's not like you know persecuting gay teachers or anything. It's just protecting people's rights to express gender critical views. And even in like, if you look at where the Tories are, like, I I, I don't know, I think it's probably, it might not even be applicable to the, to the U S because I think one of the main things that was necessary for it was probably to have a fairly moderate right wing party as an, as a genuine alternative. And it was the Tories who pushed self ID in England in the first place. Interestingly enough. Yes. Well, well, they've, They've been in power for so long that, like, almost all this stuff is happening under their watch now. So, yeah, no, I mean, I I agree with all that, and and I think the status quo over there. uh, I always, like most Americans, I screw up using UK and Great Britain and England and Ireland, like not Ireland, but interchangeably. Um, The status quo in, I guess, England and Wales is like, I think, pretty much what most people agree with, which is that. In most circumstances, like you can treat people as the gender identity they say they are, but there's a number of situations where you can have legitimately single sex places. There's exceptions. So uh, I think that status quo most people would be happy with. And I just don't think uh, the the maximalist self-ID thing just doesn't – it doesn't work. It just produces – Anyway, but uh, they, were, yeah, yep. they were heading towards the maximalist self-ID. No, I know, but there was huge backlash, right? What interests me is that, is that there's been this a backlash – but it's it's been like a liberal backlash, and it's been so far apparently quite successful, at least in the short term. I think uh, American activists should take some lessons from that. Uh, thank you. That, that, that's a really good comparison and point. Joshua, what is up? Joshua, hey. Uh, so you wrote an article a couple weeks back, uh, if I can surmise accurately, that basically said uh, for all of our critiques of progressive and well, politics, it's not at the top of the list of all the major issues facing the U.S. And as much as we can criticize them, we need to calm down and realize these are not nearly as massive as some of the crazy politics that are currently coming out of the right, uh, which I would say I pretty overwhelmingly agree with, with the caveat that it felt like there's maybe not enough uh, gravity uh put towards uh i'd say there are existing uh parts of crt i would make the case as disingenuous as chris rufo can be where we've kind of unearthed that there is kind of essentially government approved racism being taught in schools that in some of the worst cases and i just wanted to push back i think on the article 
the point that there are, in some rare cases, I make you, uh, make the case that these are actually right up there in terms of some of the most dangerous politics that are currently happening in the U.S. I think there's a lot of debate over, you know, um, for example, the difference between a teacher training that includes as an optional side uh, reading Tema Kuhn or like D'Angelo or just other crazy shit versus actual required trainings that kids are exposed to. And I, I think there's some cases like this. I think I'd probably dispute how often they occur. And I should note that in the vast majority of like the worst cases, like it's, it's just already illegal. Like you can't, as far as I know, it's, it's just straightforwardly. Um, first of all, it's unconstitutional to force a kid to like, excuse me, express a creed or belief they don't have basically. And, um, Racial affinity groups, if they were mandatory, I'm almost positive that's just a straightforward violation of federal law. So, by all means, like find the examples of what it where it's actually happening, and I'm I'm all for making sure they don't happen again. I just think that in some cases people have conflated the actual worst excesses with like again a little bit of material from a teacher training or something like that. But my argument all along has been Democrats need like a better response and oh, there's no CRT in schools, this isn't happening, because that doesn't quite, it's not quite accurate. Yeah, I, I, I think we're still seeing examples of this coming up. And again, I would say CRT on the lower end, I would say is unethical um, and wrong, but at its worst is a straight up racist. And it doesn't seem like it's going away. And I, I think the issue is why it need, for me, it seems like it needs to be thrown in the top of the list with all of some of the craziest things pushed by the right is that it's being pushed through uh, and supported by government agencies, whether they're federal, uh, you know, county level or state. And I think that that is the most ter- terrifying part of it. And that's why. I- well, so give me just give me like a concrete example of, of this happening in the way you described that that scares you. Uh, so I, I wouldn't be able to pull an exact uh, one out there. I think there's been a couple of examples that have been coming up recently of uh, teachers uh, using like freedom of like, uh, I, I, I would say, for example, like the extreme gender affirming uh, policies that are coming out of there. And I know that I've jumped from CRT, but it's in a similar thread of kind of government uh, kind of approved uh, curriculum. Uh, and, and I think I do. I, I think if we could go back like, couple of weeks, there are still examples being found of CRT in action. I think, for example, um, geez, uh, what would be one is uh, the Women's Rights March, uh, for example, something that has a major impact on Washington lobbying. Uh, the fact that it's being exposed as telling women not to uh, call the police in domestic, violent domestic cases. So again, wasn't that a, wasn't that a, a virgin? Um... I don't think that was a women's march. I think it was it was a, a, another DC group, right? This was the Free Beacon piece. I, I think it was part of the women's. Yeah, I, I think it was part of the women's march. E- either way, I think it was like a uh, powerful kind of think tank that has its hands in is influencing government and uh, political organizations. And so, I, I guess the, the, to, to surmise, I, I agree with you. A lot of this has been nipped in the bud often in an extreme case, but it seems like to, to say that this is now gone and going away doesn't feel true. And I, I again, th- there's obviously people on the right that are saying the Jews won't replace us. But when that thing 
happens, I think that we can pretty unanimously see it for what it is. The problem is, is that when you have this coming up through school systems or through government policies or HR training, it's, uh, it's kind of sticking, uh, racism or, or all sorts of, um, intolerance through the system. And that's why I, I would push up on the case that it's not solely the right. There are a couple examples coming from woke or progressive circles that I do think are up there in terms of, uh, severe issues. All right. I mean, that's fair. I, I think, um, I'm going to take the next call, but I appreciate that, uh, Joshua. I guess I would just say there's a risk of lumping different things together. And, like, I agree some – I mean, a lot. Look, Ryan Grimm just had an article in The Intercept about all these progressive groups having intense meltdowns over this stuff. It's really bad. It hurts progressivism. But that's a little bit different from, like, kids being required to sit through something in school or teachers forcing them to do something. That's just – lefty dysfunction that we should speak out against. But um, I take your broader point. I do think there's some harmful ideas out there. Edward, what's up? Um, yeah, I had a question, but I'd just like to briefly comment on one of the previous callers, sure. if I may, um, regarding the um, sort of gen- gender-critical movement in, in British politics. I, I would say that, because um, I, th- I believe a question was asked as, as to how how we were sort of able to uh, better fight um, this, this particular facet of wokeism. I think a, a key issue is that we just have a stronger left in this country. Now it is deteriorated a great deal and is, and will soon deteriorate more, I imagine, um, and, and go more the way of America. But I think that that's a key element. I mean, if you look at some of the gender critical, uh, prominent people in the gender critical movement, there is a sort of coalition across, um, not only liberal and, and leftist, socialist, Marxist, communist even, um, but, but, but also, um, sort of, uh, center right conservatives as well. I think that's a key, a key thing. I mean, you, you know, there, there's been mainstream, um, British, uh, well, not, not mainstream, mainstream, not the top, top, but, you know, certain channels and, and, um, online programs and so, so, so on that have had, um, you know, actual Marxists on, you know, head of, heads of, 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 of Marxist organizations, uh, leftist organizations that, you know, have sort of uh, helped in that fight. Whereas if you, if you look at the, um, the, the general political landscape in America, um, you know, obviously leftism is, doesn't really have a place. I mean, obviously, you know, leftism and liberalism are apparently the same thing in America somehow. Um, I think, I think that's a key, key, um, aspect that, that's, that may be overlooked by some Americans. I don't know if you, you would agree with that. That's interesting. I, I had, I'd actually thought of it more from the other angle and I'd, I'd be curious to get your view, which is, I think in America, we're much more polarized on this issue in, in part because I actually think in certain ways, the American right is strong. This is going to sound weird, maybe post-Brexit, but it's like stronger and more intense and in many ways more radical. Like, obviously, I have my own thoughts on Brexit, but but the UK has more, I think, more of a general consensus on basic welfare issues. And, and you guys don't have – do you have any conservatives trying to, like, literally shut down gender clinics in toto? No, but I, I would agree with you. But uh, is that not two sides of the same coin, though? Uh, yeah, just uh, like more polarization uh, in general, maybe. But um, yeah, I guess. Okay, yeah. you're saying there's a stronger left that's causing it. I'm saying the U.S. has a stronger. Yeah, yeah, I guess they yeah. are. But I, I, yeah, anyway, I that does make sense to me as a general theory. Yeah, um, but yeah, my question relates more to um, sort of white supremacy theory. Um, th- this is starting to leak into Britain, unfortunately. I mean, it already is here, but it- it's starting to, to-, to gain traction. Um, I-, I was hoping if you could perhaps, you know, m- maybe steel man or-, or point me in the direction where I can learn more, because it just it seems like 
the sort of white supremacy, like specifically white supremacy culture. I mean, this has been spoken about a lot recently with this idea that, um, you know, uh, you know, ob- objectivity, you know, rationality, um, urgency, doing things on time, trying to find out the truth about things, facts and things like this. This is somehow a facet of, of, of white supremacy culture. And, and obviously, as has been said by, by, many people that, that would that would agree um with many decisions that we share that, that, that this is this is racist this is these are old racist ideas the, these are you know perhaps some of the most pernicious ideas that have existed um relating to ethnicity and race so i, I was just hoping like you know what what is their actual you know em- empirical basis like where, does, yeah. where, does, where, where when does you say white supremacy from? theory you mean that list of concepts like um yeah love of the written word objectivity and stuff yeah but not not only that but just this idea i mean i, I saw this this image that's part of educational materials in in a school in england which name i have forgot um where there's a sort of pyramid and at the bottom is indifference um and then one above that is um uh minimization and then it, it goes progressively and at the top is mass violence you know and, and, and genocide and things like yeah. that and someone who studied history quite closely and is very interested in actual historical white supremacy and actual racism um, and how you know, you know th- this sort of inevitable chain of 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 positions d- you know just doesn't seem to map onto history at all in my in my view and you know if anything you know it, white people viewing themselves as an actual racial category is the first step to to actual white supremacy clearly yeah um so really what i'm asking is you know you know you know could you could you sort of steel man their response to a point mean you know what do they usually say when when this is challenged and you you say i'm sorry but that's racist on what basis can you say that these things are are white supremacy and also on what basis can you say that just being indifferent to racism inevitably leads you to somehow uh, you know yeah well i think i think there's two different things here one is uh this this i believe white activist named tama oku and i'm probably mispronouncing her name that's from around the year 2000 she just came up with this idea of like white supremacy culture that includes things like love of the written word uh perfectionism (laughs) like i think literally like being on time stuff like that it does get pretty racist i don't I think that can barely be Steelman because, as far as I know, she she seems to have just like made this up. I guess the idea is that an organization that is white supremacist could use those as justifications, for example, oppressing or punishing black people. But that's literally true of any um, way to measure performance or discipline people. Anything that could be used for discipline could be misused, whether it's tardiness or poor writing or anything else. So. I think the broader uh, steel manable point is like in the U.S. we do have a history of, you know, uh, a lot of forms of racism were effectively outlawed in 1964. Uh, but after that, people found ways to continue being racist in quote unquote colorblind ways. And I think that's absolutely true. And I think that absolutely is the thread that runs all the way from the Civil War to Reconstruction to pockets of like entrenched poverty in uh, among descendants of African slaves today. That's a very real thing. Now, putting that out as a general thing and saying that like maybe that's a good reason to not pe- put people in jail for years for having a bag of weed when that seems to consistently be applied to black people different from white ones and poor people, that's all. That's different from like just sort of pointing at anything and saying that's racist and claiming there's this thing called white supremacy culture that infects organizations 
except it appears to be completely indistinguishable from just like normal standards and practices. So I think there's like a kernel of a real thing here. But but the other thing is, I think it's like a supply and demand thing because as America talks more and more about race, there's more and more demand to uncover examples of racism. Um, so there's been this grand um, – what's the word I'm looking for? It's not idea creep. It's sort of a conceptual drift, whereas like what we call racism in 2022 is pretty different from what we call racism in 2012. And it seems like it's the definition is getting looser and looser and looser to the point where it's almost a meaningless accusation at this point. So, um, yeah. yeah. Um, yeah, no, it's, I, the thing is, what frustrates me is that I, I, I have been in some ways an anti-racist activist. Um, and, you know, I agree that there is these, the, the, these, these elements of racism, these elements of subtle racism, you know, implicit racism that exists. But the point is, is that, you know, and this is sort of separate Steelman request, if you like, but you know, what is the empirical basis that this this race consultancy business works? Like what? None. What, none. It's a. It, it, not only is it a grift, but I think in many cases, including the story that just went up about a domestic violence um, organization, I might have said Virginia. I meant Philadelphia. Uh, I think in many cases they make things worse. My podcast, we interviewed someone who went through a Robin D'Angelo training. It seemed to have helped turn this theater company she worked for into a complete basket case shell of itself because. When you tell people that every single one of their interactions with a coworker of a different race is freighted with hundreds of years in oppression and history, people go crazy. That's not a good way to – so I think a lot of these um, – okay, yeah, sorry. I'll, I'll wrap this up. The short answer is basically no diversity trainings in the U.S., are backed by empirical evidence that they improve anything. That's partly the fault of the people. Some of them grifters. Some of them earnest who run these organizations is partly the part of organizations themselves because often they just need to check a box saying they did a DEI training and it's seen as a shield against litigation because then if, if a black um, worker sues you after being fired, you can say, well, we did these diversity trainings. Uh, they think that that'll shield them against litigation. So um, no, yeah. I think there's a lot of reason to think these interventions might make things worse. I don't have proof of that, but neither do the proponents of these trainings have any proof they improve things. If I could just squeeze in one little extra bit as well, just linking to what we spoke spoke to before. I mean, do you think that because there's there's no room for for a class discussion, a class analysis in American discourse, um, do you think that's part of the reason as well? Because obviously the next step, you know, I mean, this has been said um, more eloquently than people other than myself, but the next step for the civil rights movement was was economic um, reform, and it was you know it, it, that was the next step. It was Martin it was, Luther King it, talked a lot about poor people. Yeah, exactly. Um, and that was the next step, social democracy, or even one could argue democratic socialism. So do you think that's part of it as well, where there's like almost like a frustration and an inertia? So the only other thing you can do, the only sort of avenues are through, you know, capitalist frameworks to, 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 to you know, to do something and, and conveniently also protect against litigation and conveniently also enrich people in the professional managerial class. Yeah, I make so I make a version of this argument in my book that like, I can't prove it, but I think America is pretty paralyzed politically, and the idea that we're going to like really reform the systems that generate inequality or which sort of impose unfairness on people, that's not going to happen. So people turn toward individual-level psychological solutions and symbolic solutions. So I think that's what's going on. I think that's part of what feels like almost a complete erasure of class from these discussions. Like As the 
so-called reckoning has gotten more and more serious. There's less and less talk of class, and I, I think that's a shame and, and part of the problem. Okay, great. Thanks. Thanks, Edward. KW. Hello. Hey. Hey, can you hear me this time? I uh, can. I am Okay, I'm on Android. Can everybody else hear me this time? Someone do a thumbs up if you can hear them. Thumbs up? All there right. we Thank go. You. All right, third time, third time is the charm. This is great. Uh, now, Jesse, I assume you are a subscriber to Freddy DeBoer's Substack. I am, from day one. Yeah. Do you read uh, – yeah, same here. Uh, do you read – I think it was yesterday's piece. Uh, it, he wrote about uh, the guy in Pennsylvania, speaking of Philadelphia, John Fetterman. Uh, this is Cargo Shorts and, guy. Uh, I did not read this article, though. Yeah, yeah right up your alley, man. Uh, also with a hoodie. Uh, basically, the article is called Towards a Normie Politics and – I loved it because it it says, look, this is a very left-wing guy. He is uh, to the left of most people on stuff, on things such as healthcare, but he presents himself in such a way that he can appeal to the to the normies, to the average American. And that is something that Obama did as well and that that's what we need to get back to because the current model of just yelling woke elitist social justice politics that goes on on Twitter and, and other such places is so fucking corrosive that most normal people just run screaming from it rightly yeah. or wrongly. I and agree. I, will, was, I mean, I will say we did Joe Biden mostly did that. His, his campaign was mostly meat and potato. I'm the friendly granddad, moderate stuff. Uh, yeah. I don't think he's had a particularly successful presidency, but I don't, Same. you know, I think there's, just, as always, there's this conversation of like, what's the difference between, you know, what presidential candidates do and what the median Democratic voter does versus institutions that I think it's like liberal institutions where, where this stuff is a pretty big problem. Yeah, I've, I've noticed this divide more and more over the last few years. God, it reminds me so much in many ways of the Rotten Tomatoes divide. I love that. Where, you know, like with. Yeah, the thing with Dave Chappelle or Ricky Gervais. Or this is where, just for, in case yeah. anyone doesn't know, Dave Chappelle, the audience score will be like 98%, and the critic score, because everyone has to lambaste him for his transphobia, is like 16%. Yeah, it's you see this pop up again and again and again, and it's just, man, there is such an elites versus normal people vibe. And I know that can sound kind of reductive, but I've just seen that pop up again and again and again. Uh, now, some crazy shit did happen on Freddie's uh, Substack the other day. This was a this was a private only post, and I was wondering, huh, this is such a great article. Why did he make it a private only post? Oh, I see. He mentioned some trans stuff in there, and comments got out of control. That's why he did that. Uh, yeah, he's had issues, I think, with people. I've had a little bit of this too, honestly, on my Substack. People. Um, who are very, I'd almost say fixated on the trans stuff in a way that is not great. I have it. seen that too. Yeah. And unlike most. One of the, I've, in, in doing my newsletter for two and a half years, only twice have I had to delete a comment. And one of the two was recent and it was from someone who just said something unhinged and inappropriate on that front. Well, that unfortunately happened here. And Freddie has been as shut down comments for a little while. Well, you know, we'll see. I didn't join in on any of this myself, uh, partly because it's just I, I'm not that kind of person online. And 
Also, unlike many, many people in the bar pod heterodox space, I, I just don't know what to make of a lot of trans stuff. It, it's not an issue I pay that that close attention to. Yeah. So uh, I'm as probably healthier. I'm kind of in the dark. It's yeah. pro- that is probably healthy. Although there was some good faith pushback. I mean, there is one thing I wonder though, and maybe you guys mentioned this on Blocked and Reported. Uh, for someone like me, I'm just some I'm just some normie single guy uh, who got a good who has a good job. I passed my exam, by the way. I got promoted. So, oh, nice, dude! Congratulations. Uh, thank you. Things are going well for me, but it's just uh, so I can, you know, log off and avoid a lot of this stuff. But for Democrats going forward, they are going to be asked things like, for example. Do you think Leah Thomas should compete in women's sports? Do you think male prisoners who identify as women should be housed with female prisoners? Do you think it's transphobic to say pregnant women? Do you think schools should socially transition children without informing their parents? Yeah. And of course, the, uh, the kicker, what is a woman? Right. They're going to be asked that stuff. And, and, and a lot of those things sound like right wing talking points, but they do all they reference actual liberal policies on these issues. So you yeah. need to be able to respond to them. And if they respond with beep, boop, bop, that's a transphobic line of questioning. Right. That's beep, not going to work. Not on normal they're people. They're going to get annihilated. Yeah. So I am kind of interested to see how that shakes out. At yeah. Least. Um, thank you. These are all, these are all really good points. KW. Thank and you. And congratulations. Final, uh, oh yeah. Lighter, lighter thing. Uh, a while back, uh, somebody, I think one of your callers, recommended that uh, Indian movie on Netflix, RRR. Uh, let me echo that. It's amazing. I just watched it recently myself. Please do if you haven't already. It's like the kind of historical epic where you're like, holy crap, how are we not making stuff? This I got to check that out. I'm going to do so. Thank you for the, yes, recommend- for the echoed recommendation. Appreciate it. Uh, Payton, what is up? Hey, Jesse, can you hear me? Yeah. Cool. Um, so I have like a question that's like maybe personal advice related, but uh, so I'm an undergrad um, at a <clears throat> at a university that's you know pretty you know lefty whatever, right? And I'm interested in like journalism and um, possibly like public writing and related stuff. And you know, due to that, we have all kinds of you know crazy left wing campus controversies that always happen. And I found myself, you know, writing for like a conservative newspaper on campus that like is the only one that really covers the stuff. Because if you write about this stuff, you know, at the main paper, you know, you, you get, you know, tons of pushback and uh, people getting mad at you and such. But I don't know. I mean, recently I felt like this conservative paper, like it doesn't really align with like a lot of my values. Like for example, you know, like the, you know, their cover story right now is, Life begins at conception. That was the last thing they posted before <laughs> the end of the summer. Sounds about right. 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 So like I have like my name, like, you know, connected to like this publication whose views I don't like really agree with all in all, but it's like the only place where you can like actually cover these like actually insane stuff that happens on yeah. campus. And I guess it's like, how do you find that like middle ground, especially, I mean, I know you and like, I, you know, I follow you and, and Katie and you guys are like, kind of uncancelable because you have a name but for you know like i mean to someone um you know someone like me who's just trying to get into this space like it's pretty easy to say the wrong thing in any setting and get a lot yeah. of pushback so yeah just, what, are, what are your thoughts on that 
Um, I mean, so is your goal to like after college pursue a career in, in journalism or some type of writing? Yeah, I, th- I think so. At least at the moment. I would say like, and how many more years do you have of college? Uh, two, rising junior. Okay, you have time. I mean, I would say to the extent possible, just like build your journalistic chops while staying honestly away from culture war stuff. Um, okay. I would. I do, I'm totally. Uh, I'm I'm doing the do as I say, not as I do thing. Because all I did was write like liberal columns in college about like how George W. Bush is bad. But to the extent you can like build chops as a reporter, I wish I'd done that earlier in my career. And there's a lot of local and campus stories you can report on that a are worthwhile of your attention, and b don't get into this culture war stuff. Um, mm. And c, I guess there's a c. Will like I said, will improve your chops as a reporter because the only way to learn how to report is to report. So. Uh, Again, take this all for what it's worth. I didn't do a lot of like right. serious reporting until I was like 30, 31, but I I just think that's what you should focus on and then down the road that'll give you more options, you know, including to cover these these culture war stories. And you can also sometimes find bite-off chunks of of culture war local outrage stories that have you know, something more meaningful and less less culture warry at stake. Like, you know, if you if you write about a victim of an unfair rumor and you really humanize them, People will still go after you, but that that's a very worthwhile story to tell, stuff like that. Right, right. So just like not not picking up stories just because it's like cultural war bait, but because it actually like has some like sort of inherent meaning to it. Uh, yeah, I, I, I honestly – it's also just like, yeah. you know, you – if you if this works out, the writing thing down the road, you'll have some choices about what to write about. But you might be boxing yourself a little bit in by focusing on culture war stuff now, which you can always do later. Gotcha, gotcha. That's good advice. I hope Thank so. so much. Uh, good luck, Peyton. Yeah. Thank Rose, you. what is up? Rose, hit the. Uh, there we go. Sorry, sorry. Do you guys hear me? Yep, I can hear you. Oh, okay. So I guess I was just curious, or more was a question about like group think and about if you think that if you maybe struggle or how um, with kind of getting into like now a kind of like uh, anti woke kind of said but like the reasonable anti-woke person kind of group think where like how do you, do you kind of struggle with still maintaining kind of some like uh, you know like uh, some some kind of originality or some like because i feel like there's some like among a lot of the heterodox crowd there's kind of not an acknowledgement that there's a, a lot of group think dynamics yeah. Um, in there as well. And I think, in my opinion, it seems to me like just as much. And I sometimes feel like there's kind of an absence of like, of I don't know, trying to actually like, like, I, like give actual like original opinions or I don't know. No, it does. I, I mean, I, so my latest column in The Spectator is about some of this. It's, I mean, it's more about like anti-woke people going crazy. But I, I guess at the end of the day, I just like, I don't really identify as anti-woke. Like my diagnosis is just like there are issues with certain types of liberalism and liberal institutions and you know when i said that wasn't the case or was overstated in 2015 i was wrong i just i just think if you put these fights at the center of your political existence you're gonna go crazy so i try to write about other stuff and i try to i just don't feel like i'm part of some like anti-woke group i i think it's a bad idea as a journalist to like identify with a tribe i mean i do to a certain extent that i don't have my own politics but i I think what you're saying is absolutely true. There's just like a diminution of original thinking. Everyone recites the same catchphrases. Everyone has the same enemies. All of this is true also among the most prominent like anti-anti-woke people. So 
it's just become a very yeah like, impoverished scene. No, I totally agree. And I guess another question, kind of relatedly, but or this was something more that I was just curious about, was on um was on like other issues of wokeness. What's really your positioning? Because for example, it seems to me from following some of your work that some of it that there was points where you've kind of like were kind of criticizing or kind of taking a mad Brunig kind of critical of the democratic establishment, kind of leftist anti woke kind of um, positioning but then it seems mostly you're pretty like moderate on other issues kind of like taking a more Maya Iglesias centrist on like economic issues kind of like there's too far left in general and I guess this was some of my kind of confusion and feeling like I guess this is a mild criticism but like there seems to be a lot of your positioning is based on wokeness but I don't really know for example on like other issues like what part I know you're um on the left or on the Democrat, but like what, where, what do you really align with on that? Yeah. I, I mean, that's a fair question. I, I just, I'm maybe just not as smart or philosophically inclined to have really thought through like what I am. I, I do think in terms of my actual policy preferences, I'm probably in like the leftiest 10 to 20% of America. But within that, I just, I just think people get very dogmatic. Like I, I think there's a lot of horrible examples of central planning not working and causing famine and killing people. But markets, if you don't regulate markets correctly, markets can also cause a lot of harm. It's just there's it's rarely that like you can take a complicated policy problem and be like, yes, the solution is markets full stop, or the solution is uh, socialize it full stop. It's just real life is often more complicated than that. And I think that's why like, you know, even though Matt Iglesias is a neoliberal type and Matt Brunig's a real lefty, you should find yourself sometimes agreeing with one of them more than the other. And um, I also just like, I think as a writer, again, it's not particularly important for me to be like, yes, here's exactly where I am on the political spectrum. I am this, I am that. I do think that that might um, have a negative impact on your ability to write and think in an original way. So I try not to do that. Okay, that makes sense. And just last thing before, before, um, before leaving was just, I think, I feel like it would be interesting, not that you're even that passionate about it, but if you are, because I know that you're like, if you, this is just something that I'm passionate about. And I feel like it's kind of gets ignored. But if ever you like, I, I don't know, might would be like, I know you're a vegetarian kind of, yeah, I remember you tweeted something about like, for animal rights reasons. And I feel like that's a topic that often gets ignored. So it would be interesting thing to explore. Thank you. Appreciate that, Rose. Yeah, I'm, I'm a vegetarian for a combination of the um, environmental and animal rights reasons. I'm also a hypocrite. I eat a lot of eggs. I drink a lot of milk. Uh so I don't know if I have the standing. I should probably write more about it. Uh, Jack, unfortunately, Edward Jack's probably going to have to be my last call. Just because I got to go. So Jack, unmute yourself and speak. Hey Jesse, how are you? Good. How are you? Good, thank you. Um, I was curious if you had seen any of these or of the study that came out of the University of College London this week about depression, and uh, it's kind of seeming to buck the conventional wisdom for the last couple decades about uh, depression being caused by chemical imbalances and uh, levels in serotonin. Is this does this put us back to square one, basically, of our, depre- our understanding of depression? Uh, does this mean that genetics don't really play a factor at all in depression? And I guess most importantly, is was Tom Cruise vindicated in his rant against SSRIs that is right. surfacing it's, on Twitter? This, this study actually proved that Scientology is correct, weirdly enough. People don't realize that. Um, that must have been in the fine print. Exactly. Uh, I haven't read this yet. I just saw 
the reason I'm going to finally read it is I just saw a tweet thread. I'm trying to pull it up. Um, sorry, this is actually will be useful, I think. Unroll. Someone just did a tweet storm basically saying um, that people were over-extrapolating from the study. So folks should look up Ali Rooney at A-L-L-Y-R-O-O-N-E-Y. You might have seen this review in the news, which finds little or no evidence that low serotonin causes depression. The way it's being reported in parts of the press is misleading. Here's why. I haven't really dug into this yet. Uh, it would not surprise me if we'd just been like going off a false understanding of what causes depression. But my sense is people might be misinterpreting this from one study. But sure, I got to read the study and then see Ali Rooney's thing. And this also isn't an area where I know that much, so it'll be tricky for me to come to my own conclusion. But um. Sorry to give such a not answer. I do try to be honest when folks ask me questions and I'm just like not sure. And this was one of those times. Okay. I was glad I was able to uh, <laughs> spend some time in air conditioning with you guys. Thank you guys so much for tuning in. As always, I would ask if you like what I'm doing here, tell other people about this show, tell them about the podcast, tell them about my newsletter. Uh, and in the meantime, I hope you are staying cool where you are. I randomly looked up the Minneapolis weather. It's 65 degrees there. I would kill for 65 degrees. It's like 30 degrees colder than here, but okay. I'm going to stop whining about the weather now. Have a good Saturday, everybody. Bye.